when looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, gnarly! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friend. Are you annoyingly even keel? E-methamine could be right for you. I have a disease, alright? I need help! E-methamine lets you get gagged up on whoop chicken parts without yellowing one's teeth. Oh, yeah. Contact your doctor today if you experience the following. Oh my god! Increases in blood flow, boost in testosterone, ending of erectile dysfunction. This medicine is made for extreme cases of being even keel or having extreme depression. Oh, come on! Side effects include fits of rage, acne, bleeding in folks around you, whooping cough, hallucinations, comas, trouble swallowing, decrease in semen, increase in amounts of selling yourself, amnesia, night terrors, higher mortgage rates, and increased sensations in not having suicidal urges. Oh my. With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact, Jack! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out to contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Hi, this is Eric Bloom with Blue Oyster Cult. You're listening to Crazy Train Radio. very excited to have this man on the phone right now. He has been the lead singer, but also a writer for the band Blue Oyster Cult, Mr. Eric Bloom. Eric, how you doing? Uh, doing great, doing great. Uh, uh, we have uh, one gig this weekend as we're speaking um, and doing this piece. Um, one of the first live shows we've done in quite a while. We're doing a drive-in movie 
uh, establishment in New Hampshire. But as you know, because of, uh, you know, the virus, almost nobody is working. So, uh, to be able to do an actual live show is, um, a thrill for us to be able to go out and work. I've been talking to other people in other bands and almost nobody's working. You know, nobody's worked since March. Yes, for obvious reasons with what's been going on in the real world. But since you mentioned about this upcoming show at the Drive-In Theater, what's going to be different about this show compared to previous shows with a live audience? Well, first of all, the audience, uh, you, know, um, you know, cannot move. Uh, they drive in. I think this is being done all across the country. Uh, people will drive up and cannot um, leave the area of their car. In other words, you can't run up to the stage. Um, I don't know how this is going to be police. I have no idea. All I know is I'm going, and um, this is in New Hampshire, and um, it is this coming Saturday. Uh, and um, looking forward to actually uh, doing a live show. We haven't done one since March. Well, have you, even within the confines of your own home, have you still been playing with the guitar and just trying to keep yourself loose? Well, yeah, everybody, you know, in this business, everybody plays. And I mean, I've been, you know, singing, singing along with uh, XM Radio, you know, and and um, singing along with uh, YouTube and whatever, just to, you know, you know, stay limber and 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 uh, trying to. Um, well, first of all, you know, we're, we just finished a new album, and um, so everybody's been singing and playing, trying to um, finish this record. We finished it a, a month or so ago, and um, so everybody's been playing and singing to finish the record. We had to make the record um, by remote control, so um, that was a pretty interesting uh, event. Uh, we could not all get together to do it, so everybody... Uh, recorded from their homes via uh, the internet and uh, Skype and um, Zoom and uh, you know, a variety of uh, video software. So uh, that's the first time we ever used that kind of technology to make an album. Well, speaking of which, what, what can we expect from Blue Oyster Cult with this new music? It's the first album with uh, this current lineup, which is uh, Buck and Myself. And uh, Danny Miranda on bass and Jules Rodino on drums and uh, Richie Castellano on keyboards and guitar and a variety of other instruments. So um, this is the way the band has been for many years and this is the first time we're putting it uh, down to record with this uh, five-piece ensemble. So um, we've been touring together for many years and this is the first time we're recording uh, this, this five-piece. So um, we started the writing process over a year ago and uh, got into the fall with um, uh, some material and then uh, started honing the songs down, uh, you know, in the late fall. And uh, we have 14 songs and um, started rehearsing them between shows last fall. And then as we got into the winter, uh, we went into the studio in uh, just north of New York City into a studio and uh, started putting down the basic tracks and then um, got that all done before um, COVID. And um, 
we're just about to start doing overdubs on on the basic tracks. Um, and started playing some gigs again, and then uh, got a few overdubs done, and then COVID hit, and we stopped touring, and we had scheduled time to do overdubs. So luckily, we didn't didn't miss much when uh, the virus started um, hard in in March and April. And we started recording by remote control, um, but we did manage to finish everything uh, from our homes, uh, lead guitars, vocals, backgrounds, percussion, uh, everything got done from home. Well, speaking of which, and you mentioned again about this driving show on Saturday night, we mm-hmm. start introducing some of this new material into the show. Uh, we will eventually. It, uh, I don't think we could go into this weekend because we couldn't rehearse. And we haven't played together since March. So, um, uh, I wrote a set list, um, from, uh, yesterday. I wrote a set list and sent it out to our tour manager to send out to everybody in the band so everybody will know what to go over and, uh, we'll, um, just get together and we'll play a show on Saturday and, and, uh, that will be it because, uh, we, we have no time to go over anything except maybe a sound check. Okay. Well, I've heard in other interviews with you that you are the main guy in terms of writing the set list and stuff, but you also like to change it up for your sanity and just not to be bored. What goes into it, at least for you, in terms of trying to set up your uh, set list for a particular show or tour? Well, it has a lot to do with what we've been playing in the past. You know, let's say um, we have uh, two shows to do in a week and maybe three the next week and two the next week and four the next week. After a while, I try to mix it up um, and, and change the order or leave a, a few songs out and add a few different ones, uh, like you said, for our own sanity. And also, uh, we do have a lot of people who go to more than one show. And because there are hardcore fans who go to a lot of shows, um, I know that they're going to be posting, and I don't want them to say, oh, Blue Oyster Cult, they played the same freaking set again. So... um and there are a lot of bands who, who will not change. They'll, they'll play the same show for, for a year. And, uh, I just don't, I don't like that. And so, um, we have a lot of songs to choose from. So, uh, I change it up. And very often, and, uh, the written set list, uh, you know, I will change in the middle of a show. Um, uh, I'll just walk over to the guys and say, instead of this song, let's play this song. And we do. And we'll, I'll change, just get a vibe off the audience that maybe the next song doesn't feel right. And I'll change it up right on the spot. Yeah, that's what I was actually going to ask in terms of uh, the feel of the audience. Is that probably the biggest key in terms of not only setness, set list, but just uh, in terms of the emotion that goes out from you guys in terms of playing? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, if the next song is maybe... Uh, um, uh, the audience is not responding the way I, I would hope, you know, and, and the next song maybe is a, a slow tempo song on the and set list. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say, well, maybe this is a better time for uh, a different song now. So I'll, I'll change it up. Well, 
I'm curious to know, and I want to get into the head of Eric Bloom off stage a little bit here. What has been for you, at least, been the biggest influences music-wise, and has that changed from the time you were a young kid growing up in Queens to now, or you pretty much had creature of habit in terms of your musical taste? Well, you know, if I'm in my car and driving from A to B, you know, chances are, I'm, you know, I, I listen to XM radio in my car. Um, you know, my presets are, um, uh, I, I listen to some talk radio, but I also listen to uh, Beatles channel a lot. Uh, I listen to... Um, uh, I have the decades in there so I can bounce around a little bit. 60s, 70s, uh, even 50s. Um, I listen to um, deep tracks. Uh, I listen to a classic vinyl. Um, and then sometimes I listen to, um, you know, all kinds of, you know, wacky stuff. I'll just, you know, spin the dial till I see something that sounds interesting. I listen to, you know, some metal channels also. Yeah, that's true. It's also interesting for me as far as music. And one of the things I always appreciate about Blue Oyster Cult is sometimes you guys are listed and represented as a hard rock band, but other times you're considered different types of rock since folks like to categorize music. But that's maybe because I tend to be an old soul at heart and don't like to do that. Speaking of the Beatles, I know Ringo Starr just celebrated an 80th birthday. And really find it amazing that he's still performing live with his all-star band and as well as they are. Have you ever had an opportunity to meet guys like Ringo or Paul or anybody of that musical caliber? I never have met a Beatle. Um, I did meet uh, um, met Elton John and a couple of guys from the Rolling Stones. But really, we never really hung out with the A-list, you know, people. Um, but but uh, you know, in my travels, I've met a few uh, few people in that uh, area. But um, you know, we never really toured with uh, with people, uh, you know, uh, in that stratus. You know, we, we, we really, um, you know, the guys in Deep Purple I'm friendly with, you know, the guys in, uh, like Ian Hunter is a friend of mine who, I, who's an A-list guy to me. Um, you know, people of that, that ilk. You know, and, and, um, you gotta remember we started off our, our first tour ever was, uh, being an opening after Alice Cooper, who's a prince of a guy. Oh, yes. Alice is such an interesting guy as he is so intellectual and well-versed in many things besides being an entertaining musician. And, and plus, he's a, uh, just a great human being. You know, he uh, he, he just doesn't, um, you know, play rock and roll and go buy, uh, you know, houses to live in. He's, he just uh, um, gives back and, and uh, is a great guy. Well, I want to bring up a name I've heard that my, many people may not be familiar with, but I know you would because of your eclectic taste. Michael Moorcock. What kind of influence has he had on you both professionally and personally? 
Well, you know, um, Michael and I met a long time ago, um, I think the late 70s. Uh, I sent him a fanboy letter. Um, uh, this is pre-internet. Um, to his publisher because I liked his books. And um, for your listeners who are not familiar with Michael, he's a very uh, important uh, writer of uh, all kinds of different uh, books, uh, uh, but he's most famous for his books on uh, uh, sort of fantasy and sword and sorcery books. And uh, probably his most famous character is his Eternal Champion characters. Uh, and I've read all his Elric books, which uh, are the ones that uh, stood out to me. So um, I wrote him a book telling him how much I liked his books and telling him I would like to collaborate. And uh, maybe about a month later, I got a letter back from him, which surprised me. Because sometimes you try to contact people like that and you get blown off. But um, he sent the letter back saying, why don't we get together? I'm coming to New York. He lived in London. And uh, he said, I'm coming to New York uh, to meet my publisher. And uh, we uh, had lunch, and he started sending me lyrics by mail. And that's how I got to write uh, The Great Sun Jester and um, Veteran of the Psychic Wars and Black Blade, all by lyrics he sent to me by mail. Well, I want to bring this up because we talk, spend a lot of time talking about writing here. And you got the new album coming out in October, which listeners will be able to find online and everything else like that. But has your, has the style in terms of writing music changed for you in terms of, do you like to sit down with a guitar or do you do it in other forms? What's, What's the writing process for Eric Sloan? Well, every, every, there's no real rule. Um, uh, on this record, as a matter of fact, um, I didn't really have my writing hat on. Uh, um, uh, and and uh, I know Buck had a bunch of tunes already, and Richie had a bunch of songs already, and I said, I've got to get on the stick. And um, Buck came up to me. And it's just what we really could use is some lyrics. So we were on a, you know, maybe an hour later, we were on a plane. So while we were on the flight, I started thinking about what I would like to write a song about, and I got some ideas. And uh, on the flight, I just got out the little carry bag I had, and I had some blank paper and a, and a pen, and started writing some lyrics. And out of that little writing session on the plane, two songs evolved. So, um, both of which are on the record. And, um, so there's your writing process right there. So, uh, you never know how you're going to get inspired to, to write something. Um, on this record, I collaborated with Richie Castellano on, uh, on three songs. And uh, Richie and I uh, uh, wrote these three tunes, the two of which we wrote together in a car. <laughs> so it's really, I mean, you never know how, how stuff is going to happen. No, we were just riding in a rental car, and the songs were like the half finished, or three quarters finished. And he says, you know, we got to finish this uh, third verse. 
So, so he opened up his laptop and I was driving. And, um, so we started tossing around ideas and Wally had his laptop open and we, we finished it up while I was driving and he was typing and tossing ideas back and forth. So you never yeah. know how, how a song is going to get written. Yeah, because I have, uh, people in the music industry we've talked to and I always like to reference uh, Life in a Fast Lane, where that was just started off with a musical exercise that Joe Walsh likes to do, where others have a, a process of writing lyrics, then trying to figure out the music to go with that lyric. So, like you said, everybody's uh, process is different. Yeah, well, there's uh, no rule. And, and, yeah. and um, like the guys in Rush, you know, they would... Um they would do a very long sound check before the show and they would run tape on their sound check and they'd do a lot of jamming in the sound check. And very often the jamming, which was recorded, uh, would the, the meat of the jam might become another song for the future. So you never know where stuff comes from. Well, my last question for you is obviously about the technology side of things. You mentioned it, uh, how you went through this process with the upcoming record, but you also used to record on a four-track system. You know, Which I still it, own. <laughs> <laughs> has the evolution of technology in all your years in the music business impressed you? Well, you know, I'm probably a, a, of the... Five guys in Blue Oyster Cult are probably the least geek of anybody. Um, and the other guys are light years ahead of me in their ability. Um, I'm more of a video gamer uh, guy and and um, always have been a gamer. And the other guys, uh, Richie is a video gamer, but he's also the youngest. Um, we have that in common. But... Uh, um, the other guys, you know, really have dug in and have really, you know, nice home studios, especially Buck, especially Richie. Um, and um, they can sit down and make a record at home by themselves. Um, I don't have that technology nor the interest in really learning how to do it. If I really want to sit down and do that, uh, I will drive to Richie's house, you know, and and, uh, and I have if, if – um, Something comes up, you know, Richie lives an hour away from me. Uh, but however, we, we were talking about the um, recording techniques. Um, we used the Pro Tools on this uh, on this record. And um, Buck had a version at his house, and, but he was not using uh, Pro Tools. He uses a digital performer, uh, which is uh, another um, software. And um, so this became a very complicated uh, process to get this record made because Richie was using Pro Tools as the master recording uh, software. Uh, Buck didn't want to use learn Pro Tools, so he recorded on Digital Performer at his house and had to translate that to Pro Tools onto Richie's machine. And then I was recording at my home with Richie running my laptop, which had a version of Pro Tools on it, and Richie was virtually um, running my laptop from his house, 
and I was recording in a in a homemade vocal booth at my house, and uh, it was an amazing process to get all this done. Well, you know, it's just amazing nowadays with all that different stuff that you guys can do it. But I'm going to. Uh, well, we got it. We got it done, and luckily, you know, uh, we got all the drums and everything done before uh, the virus hit. So Jules, you know, was basically done uh, before um, the virus hit, and there was some base uh, necessary, little base fixing had to be done here and there. But um, basically, Danny was done as well, except for a, you know, a little bit of uh, fixing, as any record has to be fixed up as it moves forward. But uh, basically, uh, Richie, Buck, and I had to do uh, the most because all the lead vocals had to be done, all the lead guitars had to be done, uh, all the keyboards had to be done, and uh, all the background harmonies had to be done. All that stuff had to be done by remote. And um, it was uh, quite a process and, and took uh, several months uh, because we could not be in the same room together. Absolutely. And it just crossed my mind as you said that as someone who writes music, are you someone who just grinds away at the music or can you eventually let it go and be released to the public? You know, that was like part of the part of the process of getting the record made. Uh, for instance, if it was a song uh, that Richie wrote and, um, you know, he was, you know, open minded. He would, you know, uh, he would say, what do you think of this part? And he would be open-minded to say, you know, if if I I wouldn't criticize it, but he would ask my opinion. And and uh, I mean, there was no mean-spiritedness in this. Everybody was open to uh, other guys' opinions about stuff. Like for instance, if um, uh, it, you know, there was there was a lot of give and take, uh, you know, between uh, Richie Buck and myself, and and Steve Shank was involved as well. Our, our manager, who uh, was the "quote unquote" executive producer, yet his his, uh, his opinion was uh, mixed into all of this at the same time. And um, as the as the tracks uh, came along, uh, week by week by week by week, um, um, certain things had to be done every week. Like uh, you know, where the background harmonies on the song aren't finished yet. Well, we have to get that done, you know, soon. You know, so, you know, Paul Buck and tell him he's got to do this part, you know, so then he's, you know, has to do it, you know, because we've got to get finished or, or, um, we, you know, Richie was sort of like the, uh, the pivot man on all this stuff. And, um, because he had the master hard drive at his house on all the, on, on all the recording. So, um, Richie also has a master's degree in home engineering, in audio engineering. So he was really the pivot man on getting everything done. And uh, uh, his expertise was really um, key in, in getting this project done and on all the tech stuff. Well, folks, we don't want to have Eric on the phone all day on all versions of this, whether it be the YouTube version or the audio versions. We will have links to follow Eric and the band, obviously, who is their fault. Eric, thank you so much for the time. Don't feel the reaper, nor do the wind, the sun, or the rain.
thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts there's bound to be injuries. <laughs> now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope wanna jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend while in Sail Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. Who <laughs> the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Hey, this is Tiffany, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. <laughs> <laughs> 